Spoiler alert. This is a Dissecting Dexter podcast. Reviewing Dexter Season 5. There will be plot information for Season 5, and possibly previous seasons. You have been warned. Hi, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, bringing you the podcast formerly rewatching Season 1 of Dexter, but that's now broken away from that for the minor distraction of Season 5 now airing. I will be going back to reviewing Season 1, but doing recording for Season 5 each week is keeping me busy enough, so I can't promise if I'll be doing another Season 1 show before Season 5 finishes. Apologies for that, but there just aren't enough hours in the day. My other podcast, Gareth's Waste of Time, in which I chat about other TV shows and films, well, that's gone on hiatus too. But you can find that on iTunes if you want to check out back episodes of that. But for Dexter, we're looking at Season 5, Episode 3 today. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email dissectingdexter at gmail.com, follow the show on Twitter, at dissectdexter, or my personal Twitter, which is at gareth underscore uk, And you can also call one of the listener lines. In the US, it's 206-350-6166. Or in the UK, slightly different, 0844-579-6949. But with the UK line, you also need to enter a mailbox ID 08320 when prompted. OK, let's dive into Season 5, Episode 3, entitled Practically Perfect. This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. Okay, let's start with what the episode title refers to, Practically Perfect. I, I mentioned last week the Mary Poppins connection, and sure enough, the show this week opened with Deb and Dexter interview, or primarily Deb, it, I say interviewing, let's say interrogating potential candidates for Harrison's nanny. <laughs> now Deb's interrogation, well, <laughs> she wasn't exactly warm and friendly, was she? And Dexter muses how the way it's going, only Mary Poppins would make the cut. Uh, The scene reminded me of Mrs Doubtfire when Sally Field's character is taking telephone messages from potential uh, nannies, all played by Robin Williams' character pretending to be different people. And uh, I expected one (laughs) one of the potential nannies this week to go, I am Job. I am Job. But they didn't. Uh, but they were almost as funny, um, except not with my uh, my delivery. Uh, so, Sonia comes along, seems to be the, well, almost heaven sent. She seems a bit too uh, good to be true, perhaps. Uh, but hopefully that won't turn out to be the case, and she, she will just simply be good. Played by Maria Doyle Kennedy, uh, who's uh, an Irish actress, um, and viewers may remember her from uh, playing Catherine of Aragon in The Tudors, but she's also been in other shows like the uh, Queer as Folk here in the UK and she was in the film The Commitments amongst other things I did think she looked like uh, Mary MacDonald from um, Battlestar Galactica uh, <laughs> and I like the moment where she um, takes Harrison from Dexter and gives him a cuddle and he has a big a big satisfied smile on his face Harrison that is um, but obviously he was very clearly grinning at somebody behind the camera um, now through the episode uh, at times she does seem almost too good to be true and Dexter has that scary moment when he comes back to an empty apartment 
she's not answering her phone and Dexter gets all kinds of paranoia before Sonia comes in with a sleeping Harrison. Uh, nothing to have worried about, uh, but a typical panicky parent moment. I love the shout out to season one. Uh, when he mentioned that he's not used to checking the fridge for notes. And I thought of season one before um, he mentioned about notes from serial killers. Uh, and we get the moment after the, just going back to the, the opening scene, where uh, Deb and Sonia clear out and um, Dexter's looking at the empty apartment and he says how he used to cherish emptiness and now it's something to overcome. He's obviously changing. They go to uh, Dexter and Harrison, that is, they go to a grief counsellor. Um, and it's an interesting scene. She doesn't think there's any chance that Harrison will remember anything of what happened. And you can see the visible relief on Dexter's face. I saw something pretty traumatic when I was three. Harrison's only ten months. It affected me a lot. You don't have any idea. I've seen a lot of children. I'll keep an eye on Harrison, but I really think your son is going to be perfectly fine. <laughs> and then right on cue, Harrison pulls the head off a doll. But Dexter's so relieved, Harrison is, well, almost guaranteed not to remember anything. He'd never wish for Harrison to turn out anything like him. And I love the moment when the counsellor says Dexter must take care of his own needs. Do something for Dexter. So he has the official green light to go and play some tennis. Maybe go birdwatching, paint his toenails, or hmm, maybe kill someone. So he goes after Boyd Fowler, not surprisingly after what happened last week. And he sets up a situation where they have a, ooh, a chance encounter. Would you believe it? What are the chances? He poses as uh, Daryl Tucker, looking for work, and uh, Boyd offers for Dexter to go and work with him. And he goes along with Boyd to see how he gets on. On the face of it, Boyd seemed like a he seemed like a fairly normal guy. Dexter later that day cruises and sets up the kill room, but he does it in broad daylight, which seems extraordinarily risky and. Harry appears and cautions him. You're going to kill him in daylight? It doesn't matter how this far. It's still very risky. But if someone comes by... That could also happen at night. But it's a lot less likely. You have to do this right, Dexter. It's important. It's your first kill since... You don't have to tell me how much I need this. That's the problem. What? This kill won't put everything right. It won't bring Rita back. It might bring me back. If you make it mean so much, you'll only invite mistakes. I won't make any mistakes. I'm following the code. Are you going to help me or not? I only want to help you, Dex. This is a big room. I hope you brought enough plastic. Dexter just didn't seem right to me watching this. Didn't seem as focused. He seems too intent on making this first post-Rita kill, on his terms. The redneck in episode one doesn't count. He seems to think that killing Boyd will really help him sort himself out, but I think it's made him a bit sloppy. Setting up in daylight seems crazy to me. Dexter sees it as more than just a kill. It's his own version of therapy. 
However, he seems to have an inkling that he's kidding himself about how much killing Boyd will help him. It's like it's a step in the in the right direction for him, but it won't be enough. And he seems to he does seems to have a, a doubt buried inside himself somewhere about this. Later, he gets a call from Cody, who he says to Deb sounds happier, um, which obviously has mixed feelings about. Although Aster still won't come and talk to him. Um, I still think maybe the kids were taken away from the show a bit too soon. I'd like to have seen a bit more of Dexter trying to build bridges with Aster. I don't know. You could you could argue against that, saying they were right to go away and give us a little bit of time and then come back once the dust had settled a bit and maybe the kids had calmed down a bit. Certainly Asta. Back to Boyd. Um, Dexter sets up a, a fake roadkill for Boyd to get called to when Dexter's riding with him. I mentioned Boyd's powers of, of observation last week and these are displayed again when he noticed Dexter's removed his wedding ring and assumes Dex is divorced. Maybe a warning sign there. Dexter calls in um, he, he called in that fake report of a dead alligator near the building where he set the kill room. And there's a great scene. When they get there, Dexter injects him, but Boyd turns around and shoots him with a tranquilizer gun. <laughs> oh, shit. Great moment, but a huge boob for Dexter. I mean, Pre-Trinity Dexter would have never have been taken down like that. But perhaps this is another omen for him. A sign of, oh, I don't know, maybe a little bit of... Um, negligence or sloppiness or lack of foresight creeping in surely you should have noticed Boyd carrying the tranquilizer gun anyway there's some great tension after that in the ambulance where they both wake up and look across at each other a paramedic between them neither giving anything away but you can see wonderful expressions on their faces Boyd even says he must have been so upset at the incident that he passed out covering what actually happened now, a little bit curious why. Uh, perhaps he knew Dexter had something on him, or, or figured Dexter must have, and couldn't risk pointing the finger at him in case Dexter said something to reveal his own dubious activities. At the hospital, they're watching each other, waiting for a moment when they can make their escape, not wanting the other to get them first. It's a really nice moment of tension. Of course, Dexter gets away first, and stupidly, Boyd went home. Would you really? Of course, we later discover why he was so keen to go home. He'd left something rather important there, hadn't he? But Dexter doesn't know that. I think normally, Boyd wouldn't have rushed home, unless he had great confidence in his own ability to fight off an assailant. You'd give it a while, wouldn't you? It'd be a fair bet that Dexter would head there too to have another go. Of course, Dexter finally gets the jump on him and takes him down. He then rings home to tell Sonia he's going to be late, and she gives him the news that Harrison's taken his first step. Now, as a parent myself, I can tell you this is a huge thing for parents and babies both, and you can see the look on Dexter's face. Inwardly, he must be gutted at missing it. And missing it in the pursuit of killing someone, he must be cursing his dark passenger right about now. Sonia even sends him a photo of the moment to rub it in a bit more. Anyway, on the kill table, Boyd says he was doing his victims a favour by killing them, saying they were all suffering. Dexter reveals to him that he recently suffered a loss and how his life has turned, been turned upside down, and he tells Boyd that he's part of his healing process. In the moment after Boyd's dead, 
Dexter feels nothing. No exultation, no church bells, as he puts it. He was obviously hoping for some kind of new dawn, but there's nothing. His killing just not going to do it for him anymore. But before he can analyse this strange lack of anything, indeed he says he feels emptier. He hears a noise and we get the shock ending. Someone's looking through a door and can see him. And so enters Julia Stiles. They said she was going to play a mysterious woman who forms a unique relationship with Dexter this season, and I'd say this is going to be pretty unique. It's safe to assume she saw quite a bit before Dexter spotted her, and from the look of her she'd seem to have, have been Boyd's next victim. And so ends the episode. But let's just, uh, let's just skip back through the episode to some of the other stuff that was going on. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. So, we've got the double homicide case, the Santa Muerta business that kicked off last week. The police go door to door, but inevitably no one's talking. The people seem to be scared of whoever's responsible, or maybe simply terrified by the Santa Muerta connections. They call in Officer Manzone, Sira, who we saw last week, uh, remember, she's from this neighbourhood and knows a few things about Santa Muerta. Deb and Sarah go to a shop selling the Santa Muerta stuff. And on their first visit, the shop owner isn't very forthcoming, but Sarah goes back on her own. And he talks to her then. She gets a bit of a description of two guys, recent immigrants perhaps, and well into Santa Muerta. Now, the police are thinking maybe that the male victim could have panicked because the men, these two men had his wife and holding her to ransom. Because they get some CCTV footage of them at a, a, an ATM, a cash point. The police, uh, Deb and Sarah, go back to the shop and find the owner has been beheaded and displayed in the same way as the woman last week. And so the plot there thickens a bit. Now, obviously, we still don't know what these guys are up to, assuming that um, the two guys that the shopkeeper described were indeed the perpetrators, and it's probably a fair bet. But we'll see where it's going. Obviously, it gives. Um, Miami PD, something to do this season. Um, whether this case will span the season remains to be seen, but we'll see. Uh, Batista and Masuka on the back of the fight last week. I quite liked how Masuka was using his black eye, almost like a, he was very proud of it, wasn't he? Um, and, and used it as a chance to show off a bit of machismo. He seems to revel in having had a fight. Obviously, it's a very rare occurrence for him. It tapped into some inner primal thing inside him. He says to Batista if he was going out again tonight. Um, and he says if he was, then he won't be there to watch his back. With all due respect, this man is a knight in shining armour. You should be polishing his lance. Excuse me? <laughs> For once, Masuka comes out with a double entendre there that he didn't mean. That was taken from the scene in the lift, the elevator with... Uh, LaGuerta and, and Batista. It turns out the guy Batista had a fight with was another cop, and during it, Batista kicked him while he was down. The guy subsequently collapsed at work, and now Batista's got a complaint against him. We have a scene with Internal Affairs coming to speak to LaGuerta. We'll see where this goes, but the possibility is that Batista could be charged with assault with a deadly weapon, and could be looking at jail time if found guilty. So it's not just his career that could be going down the swanee. This is good if you ask me. Well, good for the show. I mean, it puts, excuse me, puts Batista in a situation of genuine interest for me and one with pretty high stakes. 
I mean, really, I relish any kind of sensible storyline for him, as he's been, well, fairly wasted of, of late. Uh, moving on to Quinn, who's still looking at the Carl Butler sketches. Masuka, <laughs> there's a great line where Masuka comes in and sees Quinn looking at the sketches and says, and, and gives a giggle. <laughs> and says, oh, Justin Bieber. Not that I know who that is. Love it. Classic Masuka. We see Quinn later. Uh, we see him taking a call from um, FBI agent Walker. Or rather, does he? I think he rings Agent Walker, doesn't he? Um, I forget these minor details. Forgive me. Um, but Quinn tells him that he might have a lead on Carl Butler. He doesn't say much more, except that he has to tread carefully because he could be in serious trouble if he's wrong. We assume he's seen the similarity to Dexter in the sketches, but we're left to wonder. No doubt we'll find out next week. Unless you want me to hunt you down... Please email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Thank you. So, really, that was a quicker-paced episode than last week, but one that furthered the main storyline of Dexter juggling single parenthood with managing his dark passenger. He really seemed to put a lot more, a lot more hope into finding some kind of relief by making a kill, and now that hasn't happened. I'm intrigued, but not too surprised. We can't underestimate how much of an effect Rita's death has had on him. More than Dexter realises, he's experiencing the disarray that everyone feels when a loved one dies, especially a close loved one. He's out of sorts, not sure how to make himself feel better, and anyone who's, who's lost a close loved one, a parent, a child, spouse, a sibling, whoever... They'll be able to tell you that recovery is not an overnight thing. Indeed, it could be something you never get over, and Dexter has to face that possibility. Harry was right, though, when he said that salvation lies with the children, and Dexter has seemed increasingly sensitive to them. You could see how relieved he was when the grief counsellor said Harrison wouldn't remember anything of Rita's murder. Maybe... Maybe his dark passenger, his dark urges... Maybe now their maybe now their need in real terms is diminishing, and he just assumes he needs to kill to feel better, but that doesn't seem to be the case now, as we saw. Killing Boyd made him feel worse, if anything. Maybe this season's going to see him on the road to recovery from his dark passenger as opposed to recovering from the grief, although the two will no doubt go hand in hand. Whether Julia Stiles' character will fit in, I don't know. Perhaps she'll be able to help in some way. But Dexter now has a problem in that, yet again, someone has seen him for what he is. And unless Julia Stiles fits with the code, which I'd say is probably going to be unlikely, then he can't just kill her. But at this stage, we know nothing of her character except that she appears to have been Boyd's next intended victim. He said something about his victims were all suffering, and he helped them. Could have been a psycho's twisted justification, or or could there have been some truth in that? If there was truth to it, then maybe the Styles character is going to be screwed up in her own way, and that could be in Dexter's favour. Let's go to some listener feedback before we talk a little about what's coming up next week. Listener feedback. I've had a few emails and tweets this week. Firstly, I'd just like to mention, well... 
a correction really. Uh, not exactly a minor detail either. Um, I made a mistake last week talking about the grandparents that were looking after Aster and Cody. I incorrectly said last week and went into a bit of... Well, I spent a bit of time commenting on the fact that I thought it was um, Rita's parents. Now, we'd seen Rita's mother previously, uh, back in season two, I think, and she was a right old battle-axe. Um, Matt Humphrey emailed me and uh, correctly pointed out that the grandparents are, in fact, Paul's parents, so the father's parents. Um, they were brought in last season and they seemed to be all right they they talked about their son as being the bad apple of the family so maybe he was the only only bad one amongst them and the the grandparents are actually okay um clearly Rita was quite happy with Astra and Cody being with them and, and now so too is Dexter insofar as knowing that Astra and Cody will be looked after so many apologies for for that that fact completely passing me by last week um I do remember the bad apple of the family thing being mentioned last season now now Matt pointed it out um, so apologies for, for misleading anybody there uh, Matt also emailed in to say you know what would be cool if Dexter started hunting a kill and then he found out that the guy was exactly like him that this particular serial killer only kills other serial killers so in essence we'd see if Dexter would kill Dexter do you think he would? Well, that's a fascinating concept, and frankly I'm surprised it hasn't come up before. Maybe it's a possible storyline for next season, if we get one. Um, I mean, that sort of setup would certainly be a, a storyline to, to span the whole season. I think there'd be plenty of meat in there to, uh, to dig into. Uh, I like the idea. I had a tweet from... Ferret Bite, who said, I think responding to the last episode, saying, I'm intrigued, especially after the, a recent tweet on the subject from John Lithgow. And I had a little dig and found John Lithgow's tweet where he said, The last seconds of Dexter, so great last night. Enter Julius Styles, and the whole series is suddenly reimagined. Warmest wishes, Trinity. <laughs> and a cold shiver goes down everyone's spine at the mention of, well, seemingly a tweet coming from Trinity himself. Um... I don't know whether John Lithgow knows something we don't about the season, but he, he says Julius Stiles' entry into the show uh, represents a reimagining of the show. Well, well quite frankly, I, I, I welcome that. If if she does turn the series upside down, um, even more so than it already has been with Rita's exit, then um, that's great if, if, it, if it creates interesting TV and exciting TV and uh, good stuff for Dexter to um, experience, then... Um, I'm all for it. I had had a tweet from Jed Findlay, uh, Jed who sent in the great emails last week. He said, listening to the new Dissecting Dexter podcast, the production value of Gareth's show is astonishing. Thanks, Jed. That's really high compliment coming from you, sir. Uh, obviously, the production values of, of your video podcast, your, your lost podcast, were tremendous. So um, that's high praise coming from you. Thank you very much. I got an email from Abe in Mexico, who also tweeted me at Ferretbyte. He sent the tweet about John Lithgow. Abe writes, Hello there, I found your show a couple of months ago or so, and I really enjoy it, so thanks for that. It's a bit complicated, keeping up with Dexter here in Mexico, but I try. 
Regarding the latest episode, I liked how Dexter is slowly going back to being him, complete with the hunt and the catch. Seeing the whole process again is refreshing. Not sure I like Quinn going from Playboy with a badge to Dokes Reloaded. Not buying that. He lacks the looks and the attitude. And please, let's get it over with Maria and Angel. Here's to exciting new beginnings. Well, thanks, Abe. Great to have a listener in Mexico. I must admit, I've I've been very, very pleased to see that I've got listeners in lots of different countries, non-English-speaking countries, and, and that's great. It, to know that the, the, the podcast has more universal global appeal is, is great, and it spurs me on and encourages me to, uh, to keep doing these. So I really appreciate hearing from anybody, wherever you're from, uh, where, even if it's just to say that you enjoy the show. And there goes a tractor. Yep, I'm recording in the countryside, in the car again this week, so more for me. <laughs> um, what else does, does Abe say? Yeah, Dexter getting back into the hunt. Yeah, I was glad to see that this week. I did expect Boyd Fowler to be around a little bit longer from the build-up that Sean Hattosi's casting got. I, I thought he was going to be in it a bit more than he was. But, OK, yeah, the the hunt and the kill was was good we saw signs of recklessness on dexter's part in in my opinion um and obviously we've got the situation at the end where he he feels nothing or nothing in a good way as a result of the kill so um is he going to start questioning the validity and in, in keeping going with with hunting people but yeah it was good to see dexter back in the swing of things to an extent this week quinn yeah i've not enjoyed the the cheeseball quinn this season um, flirting with Deb, that awful shag in Dexter's house. Although, to be fair, I suppose we can lay the blame at Deb's door for that. But Quinn's—he uh, could have said no, couldn't he? Well, that, having said that, he's a bit of a dog when it comes to that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, whether he turns into into Dokes this season, it's looking possible. Um, I hope they don't just resurrect the Dokes storyline. Although Dokes was a more interesting character already before he got onto the Dexter's case in season two, before he got onto Dexter's t- case good and proper, shall we say, because he always had his suspicions. But um, Quinn's never been an overly interesting character to me. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what they do with that. I'm hoping that it, he becomes more interesting when he does get properly on Dexter's case over the next few episodes, and, and it's a safe bet it's going to happen. Yeah, LaGuerta and Batista, yeah, well, I've I've said it all before, um, and it, it's good that you agree. Uh, but I think with, well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that with the development in the Batista storyline, him getting into that fight and, and the complaint this week, that, that that's going to go somewhere and it's going to lead to something interesting. Uh, so I, I'm trying to be optimistic about that. So, yeah, here's to new beginnings. Thanks, Abe, for your email. I've got my first voicemail. So, thanks very much to Ian from Bristol, here in England, who came through with a voicemail at the 11th hour, uh, just before I started recording, and has the unenviable honour of being dissecting Dexter's first caller. So, let's not beat about the bush. Here's what he had to say. Hi, Gareth. It's Ian from Bristol. I'm just phoning in from my car, as that seems to be tradition, um, and I want to talk quickly about episode two, Hello, Bandit. Um, I think this is a very important episode as it closes the previous season um, and it's able to, uh, in effect, move Astor and Cody out of the picture, um, leaving uh, Dexter a little bit more room to, to kind of carry out his, his activities. Um, 
I think it's really good as it prepares us for the new season as well. So it crams quite a lot in. It's got the new um, potential um, victim for Dexter, and it's, it's got a few other background issues going on as well. So I think it's, it's really key. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about Asta's acting as well. Um, some of the comments on your podcast um, didn't seem to think she was very good at acting. Um, I, I thought in episode two she, she, was, she was pretty good. Um, she seemed to be slightly shocked and emotionless, and um, I thought that was, that was done very well. Um, on that subject of emotions, I think Dexter's starting to show some, some real emotions for his family as well. Um, so I'm intrigued to know where that's going to go this series, whether he's going to uh, understand and, and, and really kind of start to empathize with other characters uh, and whether he's going to understand whether what, he, what kind of beast and monster he really is. So that could be interesting. Um, also, some of your um, comments and email about um, secondary characters. Um, I wanted to um, kind of disagree with some of those points. I, th I think the secondary character is really important. Um, I think we've probably got the right amount of secondary characters and the amount of screen time. Um, if we didn't have those characters, I think Dexter would be very boring because it would just be murder of the week, and I think it would be a, a little bit dull. Um, so I think that having those characters is quite boring and, and little. they have little life issues and problems. That kind of is a great counterpoint to Dexter and, and kind of what's really going on. Um, so I think they work really well. Um, I'm loving the black humour in this particular series so far. I'm really finding myself laughing at inappropriate moments, so Dexter and the Mickey Mouse ears was, was very good. Uh, and I'm also loving Tebs' eloquent squaring. So I'm going to attempt to use the swear word fuck puddle as often as possible. Um, that's, that's, that's superb. Um, uh, finally, there's a, there's, there's a part in episode two, Hello Bandit, where Debs sleeps on Quinn's sofa and she puts something in her mouth. It looks like a gum shield. I'm not sure what that is, so perhaps some of the other podcasters might be able to uh, tell me what that is. Um, and finally, I'd just like to thank you for the podcast. They're, they're great. They're, they're good fun. And I think it really um, helps me to enjoy the series even more. So thanks very much. Thank you, Gareth. Bye. Thanks very much, Ian. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, ring in. Regarding your points, Asta's acting, or, or rather the, the actress who plays Asta, Chris, Christina Robinson? Yeah, the actress has had a bit of a bashing here. And I guess, to be fair, we can give a little bit of credit where it's due. I did find her more convincing in season one when she was going through the business of reacting to the return of her dad um, with all the memories of the abuse she witnessed her mum suffer at the hands of him. Uh, the memories coming back and her reactions to that. I thought she was good then. And I suppose I could go so far as to say she's not been atrocious at any time. And she's she's got some weighty stuff to act out at the moment, or has had. Perhaps for the first time since that storyline in season one. I wouldn't say, as I say, I, I wouldn't say she's been atrocious, but I do feel her performance has been a little lacking at times, at least, at least a good portion of the time. And that may be down to inexperience of her as an actress. But then you could argue against that, that maybe they should have hired someone with some more experience. I don't know. But it's interesting how different people perceive performances differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. You mentioned Dex's developing emotions, particularly towards his family. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and I said last week that I think his emotions now are as close to normal human emotion as they've ever been. But will he ever recognise that? not having ever knowingly experienced normal human emotions before. He's never considered himself a normal human. 
So I, I don't suppose he'll ever acknowledge that. Maybe he'll speculate at some point. But um, no, I welcome that. I welcome the development in his character. Speaking of that, you mentioned secondary characters. Uh, this seems to be a, a bit of a controversial subject. I agree with you. They are definitely important. And I also agree we have about the right amount of supporting roles. Of course, the show is called Dexter. It's about Dexter. The supporting characters are all, always going to be secondary to Dexter himself, and rightly so. But my problem is the lack of development or depth to them. With the exception of Deb and previously Rita, yeah, they're given little life issues to deal with. The police have cases to investigate, and, and all these servers are counterpoint to Dexter's bigger storylines. But there's no excuse for not being able to develop the supporting roles and give them enough depth to provide sufficient intrigue and interest when Dexter's not on screen. The seasons are only 12 episodes long, but that doesn't stop other shows, other current shows like uh, Breaking Bad or Sons of Anarchy. Uh, it doesn't stop them from being able to develop interesting supporting characters. But this is just my opinion. I still love the show. But there are times when the scenes not involving Dexter just don't keep my attention very well. And there's a reason for that. Having said all that, we're all different. We all watch the show from our own personal perspectives, and within the show we all find different things to pique our interest. So I'm not saying that either of us are right, but it's fun to talk about it and think about what we enjoy more or enjoy less about the show. You also mentioned the black humour, like Mickey, uh, uh, Dexter in Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, that was great. Um, I, I afforded myself a guilty chuckle in what was um, a very sad scene and deb's eloquent swearing yeah let's hear that again shall we hey fuck puddle what are you doing just giving your guess hello i i came over here to sleep not to have your fat little sausage fingers all over me <laughs> <laughs> and the gum shield you noticed yeah um i believe the gum shield will be or, or those are given out by dentists to people who grind their teeth um, presumably Deb has a problem with grinding her teeth when she sleeps so um, hey she's only human uh, but that's what uh, what I believe that will have been for so thanks again for ringing in Ian really appreciated if anyone else wants to drop me a voicemail like Ian did I'll give you the numbers again in the US it's 206 350 6166 and in the UK it's 0844 579 6949 but with the UK number as I say it's slightly different you need to then enter the mailbox ID of 08320 when the voice prompts you before we move on I'd also like to give a little shout out thank you to those who have left me iTunes reviews I had a little cruise around some of the iTunes stores in other countries and, and found that a few a few people had left me reviews so thanks very much to Duo Shade Ken Bennett, ZZXYZ Scarecrow, and Travis S, who uh, pointed out my mysteriously soothing voice. So, um, thank you very much. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. The next episode. Oh, I should just say, uh, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything about the next episode, uh, you may want to skip on about two minutes. The episode title 
of season five, episode four, is Beauty and the Beast. I think we can we can draw our own conclusions about who Beauty and the Beast may be referring to. So, yeah, we were left with a little bit of a cliffhanger, with Dexter discovering the girl in Boyd Fowler's house. Now, <laughs> I was half expecting him to turn tail and run when he saw her, uh, but perhaps <laughs> perhaps it was he knew it was too late because she'd already seen too much and he couldn't just kill her. So it'll be very interesting to see how they... Well, that first conversation when she wakes up, what's he going to say to her? I'm fascinated, and we're obviously going to have... It's going to be a, a story arc for a good chunk of the rest of the season as to how their relationship develops. We knew that Julia Stiles was going to play a mysterious woman who forms a unique relationship with Dexter, and I'd say this qualifies as unique. So we'll see where that goes, um, and whether she ends up on his table at the end, because, uh, well, how many people have discovered Dexter's secret and lived? The preview synopsis I've read um, also mentions that Deb has a run-in with a murder suspect in the Santa Muerta homicides. And also Quinn uncovers more striking similarities between Carl Butler and Dexter. So, as we suspected, the, the Quinn storyline of him discovering more about the identity of Carl Butler, um, that is going to continue. Hopefully we'll find out what he's going to tell the FBI agent. Uh, I'm sure we will. Um, and what's going to happen with Deb? If she has a bit of a frightening encounter, um, is she going to have the killers on her tail? Is she going to be uh, in fear of her life? That, that could be interesting for her character. Uh, and maybe we'll get we'll get some more development with the with the Batista storyline. Um, will LaGuerta have to stick her neck out to to protect Batista from from going? I want to say going down, but that's a and walking straight into dodgy double entendre territory. But you know what I mean. Is she going to use her her influence to um to help him? Who knows. But I'm interested to find out. I'm looking forward to the next one. The ending of this week's episode was described as shocking by some and intense by others. For me, it was surprising, although Julia Stiles' presence in the episode was telegraphed by her name in the opening credits. Lost always did that, and it often spoiled surprise appearances by characters. However, I'd forgotten by the time we got to the final scene, so I was surprised to see someone at the door, but then remembered, oh yeah, that'll be Julia Stiles. I'm very intrigued to see how her relationship with Dexter develops. Maybe she'll be able to help him in some way. I hope she doesn't just simply become uh, another obstacle for Dexter to overcome to save himself from discovery. It's good to see Dexter so interested in Harrison's welfare. Even though he's got the nanny, he's keen to see his needs taken care of. That long detailed list he gave her, checking on him by phone, He's feeling a greater sense of parental responsibility, and it could well be his salvation. Having children really does give you a sense of purpose in life. For now, I just hope the nanny doesn't turn out to be a nutter. Let's have a reliable person for Harrison to be left with, please. I still regret Astor and Cody leaving so soon, though. I'd have liked to have seen a bit more of them. Despite what I've said about the actors. Okay, well, let's finish up there. 
Next episode isn't far away. Soon be here, don't worry. And I'll be back a few days later after that. Don't worry. (laughs) With another review show. Again, any feedback is gratefully received. Thanks for listening. We'll dissect some more Dexter very soon. (laughs) 